Hello everyone, I'm Ellis Traub and this is Money, Business and More. Well, I have what I think is a bit of a treat for our listeners tonight. With me is a fellow that I've known for more than 60 years. And over the last 25 or so years of that, he's devoted his life to helping other people to enrich their lives and live happier lives. And over the last maybe two, two and a half years, he's been intent on leveraging his ability to do that by teaching other people to do it. This fellow is a life coach. His name is David Traub. And he's my son. I'd like to introduce you to him. Good evening, David. Well, good evening, Pop. I guess we're not going to pretend like we don't know each other. No, I think it would. <laughs> uh, I, like I said, I've known you for over sixty yeah. years. That's uh, going back. Of course, that said, that, that says a lot for how old I am right now. But. Well, I mean, I just turned sixty-two, so you know, you came in oh, under well, the wire I, on that. Oh, okay. Well, I could. In yeah. any case, one of the reasons that I'm eager to uh, have you participate in this program is because, uh, as you know, I coach people with their business issues. And in the course of doing so, I find that my experience in, in business is fulsome enough, but there are people who come to me with needs. And after I listen to them long enough, I find out that their needs are a little bit deeper than just wanting to understand how to do business better. But let's start off with something so that we'll all understand that we're on the same page here. Just what is life coaching? Well, life coaching is a a big umbrella. And since it's unregulated, it pretty much means anything anybody wants it to mean. The generic sense of life coaching is active listening, learning how to ask good, powerful questions, uh, goal setting, accountability. These are the kinds of things that, that um, help people figure out where they want to go and help help people have a different perspective since they're sort of in the mess. Having somebody outside of it asking questions helps them get a better picture of where they are, helps them figure out where they want to go, helps them set up goals and milestones on how to get there, and has somebody that holds them accountable to doing it. And that's, that's what traditional life coaching is. Um, I don't actually do traditional life coaching, but that's what life coaching in general is. Okay. Well, and how does your methodology of life coaching or your approach to it differ from the uh, the norm? So a life coach, again, is, it's a unregulated, and so there isn't a degree. They're not therapists. Um you know, they've gone through some kinds of training to help them uh, both with, uh, you know, learning how to listen, learning how to ask questions, um, you know, having a certain set of ethics that they get to work inside of. And that's pretty much what training for life coaches. But I do something that is probably closer sometimes to therapy, although I'm not a therapist. What I do is works in the world called transformation. And I have to really get into what transformation is. But again, to, to, to draw a distinction between coaching and therapy, therapists are often concerned with looking backwards, how to, you know, what happened in your childhood, what occurred, what was the trauma, what was the breakdown. So therapists often look backwards and spend a lot of time in the, in the past. 
And coaches traditionally look out in the future, and so coaches are aligned future. And so in that regard, I have a forward projected uh, look for my client, but I have a set of tools that also goes backwards when necessary. So very often what I find in the work that I do is that I need a balance of backward-looking and forward-looking because for some reason they can't seem to get moving forward because of something in their past. So now what I said was I work in transformation, and that is about figuring out what is the context that one lives inside of. And that's the big word. But uh, It is a big <laughs> word, and it's a little esoteric. You do have therapists that uh, you coach, do you yes. not? Oh, yeah. Lots of them. So, so you have a, an opportunity to understand the ups and downs of their business and how they work. Mm -hmm. uh, are, are they are actually coming to you to help them, or are they coming to you to help them do their jobs better? Well, I mean, that's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad I asked. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> no, I mean, just... In reality, they're coming to improve the quality of their lives and their experience. And then what occurs in the sessions also, they come away with tools and, and insights that help them with their clients. So okay, it's a well, yes in both in, in both. In regards. a sense, you're coaching them. Mm -hmm. Well, now, you, you, you are coaching coaches now. You've coached all over the world, haven't you? Uh, yeah. where, have you where have you gone internationally? Uh, well, Russia a lot. For many uh -huh. years, I did a lot of work in Russia. Um, I have trained more than a hundred coaches in Russia. Wow! Um, so a couple dozen in Ukraine. Um, I've done some trainings in China. I did some trainings in Israel. Did some trainings in um, England. I did training in um, oh goodness, I can't even remember some of the countries. Um, you haven't you haven't gotten to Latin America yet, I guess. Probably mm. it would help. It. Well, well, I mean, I was thinking. Uh, well, you don't speak Spanish, but come to think of it, you don't really speak Chinese or Russian either. No. no how I do you how do you manage that? Well, I mean, I've had to work through interpreters. Um, well, that, that that sounds a little difficult. I mean, what you do is is spontaneous, <laughs> and what you do is uh, is interactive. Mm -hmm. When somebody says something, mm -hmm. uh, normally you respond right to that, mm -hmm. and the, uh, the the time lapse, the uh, <laughs> the latency on your conversation has got to be a little bit. Difficult. Yeah, I mean, it is it is an interesting consideration to begin with. When I first started working with interpreters, it really felt like a straitjacket. It really was frustrating, and in many ways, it seemed like the pace of things slowed way down. Um, and that was just initially because really what happened, it actually freed me up to recognize that what we know, what we know out of research is that in emotional communication, not business communication, but emotional and, and the kind of communication, communication between people, um, personally, only 7% of the communication occurs in words. The rest of it occurs in body posture, tone, and, and, and all these other ways that are nonverbal. And so when you actually stop and stop worrying about what the words mean, you open up to the bulk of the communication that's being transmitted. 
Well, that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I do know when I, I I think about my experience in China, I do remember that trying to figure out the language with a uh, Berlitz or a book like that, I find out that you can say the same word, and if you say it up, yeah, why it's different from if you say it down, and they can be quite different. Yes. So uh, yes. that adds a, a complexity. But if but uh, from what you're saying, why uh, the fact that uh, all of those other things represent ninety three percent of the Communication. If I say right. to my wife, I love you, okay, I could say I love you, and I can use a tone that's tender and loving. I can use a tone that says I love you, meaning how come you don't know it already? <laughs> I can say I love well, I love you. <laughs> right. It can be said as an accusation. It can be said as a, you're annoying as hell, get out of my face. Yeah. Okay. It can be said, those words don't convey a whole lot until you start looking at all the tone that surrounds it. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's an interesting point. Well, my, uh, the, uh, the listeners on this show are going to be people who are primarily interested in improving their business life. And once again, in my connection with them, why uh, I have enough to offer them uh, in terms of business skills and experience and and so on. Mm-hmm. But not all of us are that fortunate, and yet all of us who are coaching, and there's some 70 of us in the Broward chapter, and when you consider the 300 cities across this country, mm-hmm. there's an awful lot of coaches that could benefit from having some insight into what you do, not with the same degree that you have, but in being able to recognize when someone's needs go beyond just a business issue. What are your thoughts about that? Well, look, I think actually everyone can use this kind of work. It's not like, you know, you're broken, you need help. It's like everyone could use um, time to take and figure out why they're doing what they're doing. Um, And so if someone comes to figure out how to build a business, I get to ask them, why? Not not let's figure out what's between you and building the business, but but why? Why are you building this business? Why this business? You know, what's actually driving you? Are you doing what you should do, have to do? Are you trying to prove you're good enough? Are you, are you living in scarcity? Are you living in abundance? Are you coming out of your passion and purpose? I mean, I get to really ask, you know, where do you want to build the house, not how do you build the house? Okay. I mean, it's one thing to to ask a question. It's another thing to be able to understand and analyze the answer. I remember when I was when I was in the service and I was uh, training in Texas. And, uh, I'm fortunate, I guess, with a musical background and so on. I have a very good ear. So when I learn phrases in Spanish, I speak relatively accent free. So I learned how to ask where things were, and then I got down south of the border. I remember one day stopping a native a Mexican who was running by the side of the road with a cart. I was looking for horsetail falls, and I remember asking him in very good Spanish, where do I find horsetail falls? And he started responding to me in Spanish. I couldn't understand a word he said. Sure, sure. And it's the same kind of thing with this. If I know the right questions to ask, they have to also be associated with understanding what I do with the answers. So what would you suggest about that? Well, I think the question, 
an answer that's important here. Again, you know, it's hard to make one size fits all answer. But the closest I can come to that is the thing that the place where people fail most often in their business is when they quit. I mean, they, you know, maybe they don't get the resources. You can help them with that. Maybe they don't have the skill. They can get it. Maybe they run into bad luck. Okay, but time will adjust for that. Where they fail is because they quit. And why they quit is because they lose enthusiasm and they lose passion and they lose the real fuel that keeps them going. And so I would be asking questions to make sure that they had a source of fuel that was renewable. So when you're doing something because you have to or you should, that's a limited resource. When you're doing something because it's something that you are passionate about, something you desire, and if you, if you manage that, in other words, if you nurture that, that is a completely renewable resource. And so I would be asking questions to make sure that they had access to a renewable resource like that. That's good. Well, that combined with the questions that you mentioned when we first started talking about business clients, uh, what made you start this business? Why did you start this business? Mm -hmm. uh, are, 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 what are your passions? So those are the kinds of questions that we should be looking at and finding a way to ask them in as few words as possible so that you can listen to what their answer is. Also, there's another technology here that, um, that shows up in creating, and that is that there's an inverse relationship between attachment and passion. Okay, now, that sounds esoteric, so let me make it make sense. Yeah, please. Uh, sure. <laughs> so, um, a passion, I have an idea. The moment I have my idea, my passion is usually at its apex. I mean, as I start working on it, my passion starts dropping. It's usually at the apex at the beginning of projects, and most people have seen that. You know, they're so excited. They, you know, the first, the first few days they're working on it, they get more done than, than most people get done in weeks because they're so passionate. But, but as soon as they start investing time and energy into it, and as soon as they start solving problems, they start becoming attached. They have to have it. In the beginning, it was a maybe, maybe not. They were not attached at all. It was really just, even, even if they need the money, even if they know they're finding a way to replace their, you know, to, 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 to create a certain income and they need income, everybody needs a certain quality of life. It's still not something they put in the category as, I have to do this. But as soon as they start putting time into it, now they have an investment. And now it quickly starts turning into a have to. And every day they go to work, they have to do it. And every struggle they come up against, it's a struggle. And they are attached to an outcome in a way that they weren't before. And their passion goes to zero. Instead of what I get to do, it's what I have to do and what I should do. And even if it's something I really, really love to do, I've stopped being in touch with that because I'm attached to an outcome. Boy, are you hitting home. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've started five books. I've published one. And, and now that you describe this, uh -huh. I, I can feel exactly where I was. Yeah. In fact, I can almost identify the point at which I... I, yeah. I like to say I lost interest, but the fact is, as you say, I, I, you I, got attached. It became a, it became a task. And, and so in that, when I'm working with someone who's building a business, one of the things I want to make sure they have is a practice that continues to keep them inspired. See, that seems frivolous. Like every day to get up and visualize and feel excited about an outcome. I mean, I need to be in there 
like bailing and I need to be building and swinging a hammer. What do you mean sit back and just visualize? Well, you actually need to make sure that you're doing something that, that keeps the spark alive so that you can take inspired action instead of action that is driven only out of have to and should. If, you're, if your spark is, is bright enough, then your action becomes inspired. You still have to work, but that work is something you're excited about doing. Well, I mean, I mean, the fact is that when you start the project off, you're doing the same kind of work right. that you're doing when you're excited. Right. When, you, when you're when not, you get, <laughs> except, <laughs> except you're excited. So, is there a way to is there a way to uh, to continue to light that spark? What or is it you picked the wrong project? No, it's rarely you pick the wrong project. I mean, that's the way it it occurs. In other words, the experience that people have is, oh, I picked the wrong project. But that's the, that's the internal experience when you're just tired of doing what you're doing. Okay. And you're tired of doing what you're doing because you haven't managed your passion and you haven't let go of, of, of the attachment. Well, I've read in these how-to books and so on, uh, making in small bites so it's not overwhelming. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other tricks that you use in order to keep yourself from being overwhelmed by it and by being defeated by it. Yeah, but those those are more tactical. I mean, that's a tactic right. as opposed to a strat right. strategic. And strategically, if you don't wake up excited about what you're doing, okay, before you get overwhelmed, okay, you would you would be nice to have tactics to deal with overwhelm. It would be nice to have tactics to do the hard thing first. You know, these are tactics, but right. you really have to really want want it. And if you don't have a strategy that keeps you in the batter's box, you know, tactics aren't going to help you with anything. Then you're not going to need them. You're just not going to want them. All you're right. going to be clear that you so, really so picked the wrong what, project. What's the secret, if there is such a thing, of, number one, picking the right project? What are the, the clues that we should look for in, in starting... Picking well, the right project to start well, with. Well, okay. I am not, I don't think that there's there's a whole lot of merit in this conversation about picking the right project at where we're starting. Now, as a life coach, I can engage in that. As someone that's already wanting to start a business, they've got a plan. They've got something they want to do. And for me to talk about whether it's the right project or not, it's it's too far downstream. We can make that work. We need, we need strategies and tactics to deal with what's going to come up because this is the project you picked. Okay, yes. Okay, not, right. not let's second guess the project. Good, okay. Okay, so, I mean, if someone's coming to me and saying, I want to do something, I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay, <laughs> now right. we, we've got an opening. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, but, go but on from a, there. Go yeah, there's there. a lot of things that we can do once we pick the project. It could be really good, it could be not so good, but... In that beginning, there is enthusiasm. There is passion. I mean, underneath of it, they might be proving themselves. Underneath of it, they might be coming out of fear and scarcity. Underneath of it, there could and, be... And that's your realm. That's Yeah, that's something that I would... As you a know, life coach. ...working with, you know, concurrently. But in the meantime, one of the things that, again, I think shows up as frivolous because we're so busy doing the hard stuff to make the business go... It shows up as frivolous that I would say job one is managing your outlook. 
Okay, I mean, if you're not managing your outlook, basically, you're not having a good time. And if you're not having a good time, you're never going to want to play the game. Okay, develop that. Okay. You go to work every day, and every day you go to work, you hate what you're doing. You're not going to do it very long. I mean, you may have a lot of determination, you may have a lot of discipline, and you may hang in there a while, okay? And it's not going to be fun, and you are destined to quit because you're not having a good time. Now, there are a number of ways. I, I like visualization. I like things like vision boards. Okay, these sound really foo-foo and no, no, airy no, 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 that's good. That's but these are things that actually connect people to a vision, remind them of a bigger picture that they can stand back in. And daily, they need to check in with themselves and be clear about their why. If their why is just because I have to and this is what I'm supposed to do, that they're not going to have a lot of gas. That, that's, that's, that, like, that's like having a job, like you said, working for somebody you mm -hmm. don't like and so on and just slogging along. Mm -hmm. Yep. But if you're your own boss, you're probably, it's, it's having a job also, isn't it? Well, it can be. I mean, it depends on how you, you know, you can build a job or you can build a business. The question is whether you make yourself replaceable or not. Okay, well, that that sounds like an interesting uh, concept to work on. Let's take a short break, and we'll be right back. Did you know that you have access to a personal mentor to help you with your business issues? Whether you're starting a new business or trying to improve the way an existing business runs, you'll find them at SCORE.org. This is the website for SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives. It's an arm of the U.S. Small Business Administration and consists of thousands of volunteers in more than 300 cities across the United States. And the best part is that their services are offered at no cost to you. At SCORE.org, you can enter your zip code and find a list of local mentors, each showing his or her areas of expertise. And you can schedule your own appointment at a convenient time and location. SCORE also offers a variety of regular workshops presented by professionals in their fields. You can see a current schedule of those events and pre-register on the spot. Some general classes are offered free of charge, while others have a modest fee, which is usually discounted for pre-registration. Check it out. SCORE is the place to go to find someone whose experience may be just what you need. The distinction between having a job or building a job and building a business. Yeah, many people, they don't like to be bossed around you know again we're talking about at the deep seated underneath of it all they don't like to be controlled they don't like to be told what to do and so and they also think that hey if you know if if i made my own business i would make more money doing this thing than i'm doing for this other guy right now okay let's just say now you know I'm sure your clients are doing more than washing cars, but if I'm washing cars and I work for a company washing cars, he's taking part of the profit. And I go, oh my gosh, he's taking, I do all the work and he gets the money. Now, if I was doing the car washing myself, I get paid more. Yeah, but. Well, we all know there's a but. We all yeah, know there's a but lot of buts. You're also not having to pay the rent. You're also not having to. We all we rent. all know that. But at the, but but at the core, that's a lot of what's happening with many people that decide to go into business for themselves. They go into business for themselves because they see there's more profit, and they don't like other people telling them what to do. 
That's, that's one of the biggest reasons that people go into business world. Not because they have a vision for something that they want to create in the world. Like, I want to bring this forward. I want to bring this about. They want to do what they are good at doing and get paid for, more for it and do it the way they want to do it instead of the way someone else wants them to do it. That's true with a lot of young people these days. Well, I think it's true across the board. I, I, won't, I won't prejudice about young people. But um, nonetheless, it, what happens in that, because they're, they're, they're looking at that, you know, those dollars, they very rarely set, set it up such that they're just managing and hiring people to do that job. They're good at whatever it is they're good at, and so they plan to do it. They plan to actually be one of the workers. Not They don't actually plan on being the manager. Ah. They don't actually plan on being the owner that gets to stand back and actually work on the business instead of in the business. So I, I, would, I would conjecture from what you're saying that the difference between a real entrepreneur and somebody who's just building a job for themselves is the fact that they have a vision of building something larger and therefore they, they can create something they can replicate they can uh, uh, they can manage. They can find other people to do it. Go out and do it again, and build more than one. So when you have people that are building companies, yeah, that, I, that, I, that, that are across the country, they're building. I, I would say that I would say that it isn't necessary that they can replicate it. It isn't. I mean, that's that's certainly another level of entrepreneurship. But it is necessary that they see that they're managing other people to do it and not being the sole doer. There's an old saying, just because I can do something doesn't mean I should, should do it. Uh -huh. And I think that, 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 that's, that's true with a lot of people that I, met, that I coach. They, they find themselves, once they've got into something they really like, they're so busy doing things that they don't think other people can do it as well as they can. No, no. <laughs> they think they're so good at it. That's why they should have their own business, because I'm so good at it. You understand? That's, that's already a problem. Who are they going to be able to hire that can do it better than they can? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so their business has already got a flaw in it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, well, if you were going to coach us as uh, mentors, what kind of advice would you give us in that respect? What should we convey to uh, the people that come to us who are starting out a business, want to build a business, what 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 should we guide them to do? Well, I, first, I don't give advice, and and second, um, I'd be hard pressed without spending more time asking you questions to feel like I could give you advice about what to do there. Um, I think that if I'm speculating on what you do, so I could be in error. Yeah. Uh, um, well, if I speculate no, I, on what you guys do and how it looks. Well, that's one of the things that we are, as, as SCORE mentors, we're taught to do, and that is not to just start right out and tell people that's what the, something they should do and give them advice. So you're well, not going to get me to do it. <laughs> exactly. So, so what we need to do, then, and, and I guess the, the best advice you can give is something that we're, we're told that we should do, and that is to sit back and listen and and get as much as we can out of somebody because if the, the less we talk the more we learn mm -hmm. and the more we learn the more valuable we can be mm -hmm. 
So the, your first first advice is in parallel with what we are taught, and that is to to ask enough questions so that we really can and can understand the depth of what their real need is. Yeah, I would say that along with that and 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 echoing that, part of what makes what I do work so well, part of what I bring to the table that has me be as effective as I am is my sincere, deep interest in the person I'm talking to. I am listening deeply to not only what they're saying, but what's underneath of what they're saying and trying to step into their life and step into and see, you know, what it is that must be happening that they're reporting what they're reporting. And so there's a deep interest that comes from that, that puts me in a position that I can be helpful. And I think that to the degree that you do that, you're going to be helpful. Okay. So, so I guess if, if uh, at the risk of being also esoteric, what you're saying is that it's incumbent on us to develop a greater sense of empathy and a greater sense of genuine interest in what somebody is doing so that we can walk in their shoes and then try and, try and approach what their needs are by contributing the benefit of what experience we have to help them realize what they want to do. Yeah, would that be? I, I that, think that's that fair. Be? I think that's fair. I, when I train coaches, the coaches that I train, you know, I don't take on a coach that I don't think is interested in other people. I won't take one on to train that I don't think cares about other people and is motivated to be helpful. So that's a prerequisite. And yet, even though that's a prerequisite, the bulk of the training is to get them to be able to deliver that on demand and not be so concerned about how they look and whether they're doing good and whether they're being helpful to actually be able to look at the other person and be present to that other person without their own stuff being there uh, is a developed skill. It's worthy of development. So to whatever degree you are developing that empathy, to whatever, to whatever um, amount you're able to sincerely step into their life and not project your values and project your expectations and you know really look over there and go well how's it working over there and how will it work for him um i i do think that puts you in the best position to be helpful i get that and i think that that makes a whole lot of sense and it's uh, in some people it's more more instinctive than it is in other people um this leads to another issue that comes up often in the conversations we have. To what extent would you th say that financial uh, reward is an important consideration in all of this? For your client or for you no, as for a coach? for your client. Yeah. We're doing this as volunteers. Sure. Sure. So, so I think that it is overstated how important it is on one hand, but that's not to say that it's not important. So to say that it's not important would be to understate it. But for the most part, people have an over-exaggeration of how important it is. It could be fun. It could be exciting. It could be dramatic. How important is it is a different kind of question. Uh, it's, it's clear that a certain style of life, a certain level of income has an impact on happiness. Okay. But up to a certain point, I think it's somewhere around $50,000, $60,000. Everything after that has to do with their own personal development. So money over and above that doesn't actually impact their happiness. It doesn't make it good or bad. I mean, 
you know, you could have a great lifestyle, you could have boats, you could have parties, and you're not necessarily any happier than someone that doesn't. Well, there's a lot of people who have oodles of money and right. are terribly unhappy. Right. So, I, I don't, I mean, anybody that wants to make money, I want to help them with that. But if they, if they think it's going to make them happy, I want to help them with that too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the other day I had a young fellow who noticed that I had a score logo on my shirt and he asked me what I did and I told him. And this young fellow had the, I guess, maturity to ask me a very, very good question. He said, in, in the time you've been doing this, what is the one thing that you've found is more important than anything else that you've been able to help people with? And when he asked me that question, it triggered immediately my response because overwhelmingly, the one thing that I've discovered that was a huge epiphany with, with people was that people come to me and they ask, how can I make more money? How can I improve the bottom of the top line of my company? Mm -hmm. uh, how can I start a business and be able to make enough money to live on and so on? And, and you switch and, it to how can I be more valuable? Answer Exactly. The answer mm -hmm. that I give them was, if you'll stop thinking about what's in it for me, how much money can I make, how can I improve my standard of living, and so on, the answer that I've given them, and the one thing that's made more uh, epiphany moments in their lives has been the fact that if you'll just turn it around, and say, how can I be of greater value to them? What can I do that's going to produce greater value? Because after all, money is nothing but a token of what you receive in return for being of value to somebody else. And this young fellow that I spoke to, I met him in a subsequent session, and he told me that that actually changed his life. I've had more than one person tell me that. I had another fellow that came in that, that was trying very hard to sell. And he was trying to sell his services, and he was having a terrible time. And I said, well, just stop and think about it. Ask the person that you're talking to, is this not what I'm trying to sell you? Do you understand the value it is to you? And focus on the importance of what it is to them. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, closing a sale is nothing. It's, uh, well, okay. If, if you can do this and this makes you happy and this will give you what you want, let's do it. And that's a close. It's, I mean, it, 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 there's no, it's not turning around and, and, and saying, well, I want your business because that's like what's in it for me. It's what can we do to get this thing going? And that's, that's normal. What, what are your thoughts about that? I agree. The thing that controls your income what I teach about what controls your income is your willingness. It's a strange word to use, but willingness to create value for others. That's the that's what controls your income. So willingness, we can break down into a number of components that we don't recognize. Um, what we're willing to do, what we're not willing to do. And to be able to create value for others requires us to have a great interest in other people. To actually figure out what is valuable to them as opposed to what it is that we think we do, what we think we're good at, what we think we enjoy doing. We have to find the sweet spot somewhere between what we enjoy doing and what other people find valuable. You know, I, I find people often that say, I know, I'm worth so much. I'm like, well, how do you know that 
unless someone's paying you, you're not. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. you may think you're worth it, but uh, that's what you're worth to you, and you don't get paid for that. Well, that that goes back again. The core of entrepreneurialism is it a fair statement to say that the most successful entrepreneurs are not those people who try and come up with an idea that somebody might like and then go to all the trouble of marketing it and trying to find out whether there's a, a, a whether there's a want or a need for it and instead to be sensitive to what other people need because if you find thing something that somebody else needs and you have the skills and you have the experience and you have all of the things that enables you to provide it to them then you do away with the whole need to market because it's already there's already a market there. There's already a need for it. Is that yeah, a fair I, statement? No, I don't know. I don't know if it's a fair statement. It may be. I don't know if it is. A, I don't know that anything in our current day um, precludes our need for marketing, regardless of how good you are. In order to extend your reach, marketing is required. That's A. And B, I don't know if it's true. Even if you do what you're speaking of, that your business is going to be bigger or more. Uh, or grow better, but what I can say is that you'll enjoy it, and it'll be much more satisfying and fulfilling to do it that way. Well, I mean, it sure seems that that would be, you know, a more likely and easier approach, and one that goes with the flow, and and certainly um, it makes for an easier sale. You know? I was going to say, as but, far as- but as far as what makes the best entrepreneur. There are a number of factors in that, and how do you want to measure it? You know, if you want to measure it by how many stacks of money you have or by how happy you are about the role you play, you know, there's some pretty unhappy entrepreneurs making tons of money doing crap that has nothing to do with being helpful. And they're not, you know, they have stacks of money, and they contemplate suicide in their spare time. So <laughs> so I don't know that, you know, we, we really want to ask, what are we measuring? For me, it speaks much more to what is deeply satisfying and what's going to keep you in in your passion and feel purposeful. You know, one of the things that we have is a need and almost a lost need, you know, or, or, or at least an undistinguished need anymore, is a need to belong and a need to contribute. And in our society, people are so busy trying to be independent and, you know, become independently wealthy. And this place where we take a deep interest in others and we want to participate, where we have something to give and we get money in return, this is being part of something bigger. That's deeply satisfying and touches us on an important fundamental level where fulfillment lives. Well, you're raising another point, which is at the core of uh, much of what you do, I think, and that is the need for community. You mentioned the, the idea of being independently wealthy. The fact is that without other people, why that wealth doesn't mean anything. Good Lord, if you if you wash up on a desert island and next to you is a chest full of uh, of hundred dollar bills, what good is it to you? Even if it's gold bullion, same difference. The worst, more so, yeah. because at least you can you make a fire out of right. dry hundred dollar bills. That's true. <laughs> true. So the, the the notion of how how important money is, it has an awful lot to do with what you do with it and then uh well again for me I, I used to do a lot more business coaching and that was just more concerned with a result and what i do now which is more aligned with personal goals i have lots of people building businesses 
but I'm aligned with personal goals, which is more aligned with deep fulfillment and satisfaction, which is not inconsistent with building a business. It's just that my focus in the end is that I'm going to feel like my life is worth living. And then, you know, when my life is over, I'm going to say, that was a good ride. I'd like to do that again, as opposed to look at how big my bank account is. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, the conversation that you and I are having now is abundantly valuable to the, those that are listening to this. I think that it, it makes a whole lot of sense for people to be able to reset their mindset. We've only got a couple more minutes. Are, are there any pearls of wisdom that you can think of that uh, would be a good way to tag this session? You know, um, you were asking before about the best piece of advice you gave that young guy that asked you and about how to create value, being valuable as opposed to, you know, trying to get money, that being one, one avenue. I would say that there's something that's sort of fundamentally like that. It's a little bit more esoteric. And in that, it's harder to hear or harder to understand or harder to value, but every bit is important. And, and that is, we, we talk about why we're doing what we're doing, you know, why you're building this business. And why I say this is hard to hear or hard to understand is because this question runs very deep. There's so many levels of it. Because most people that come to me that I work with and most people that I've come across in the world are still busy doing what they need to do to be good enough to prove themselves, to be a good father, to be a good husband, to be a good man in the world, to be a good citizen, to be good, to be good enough, to prove that they're okay. And they're busy living a life that is the purpose behind it. What is driving them is to somehow prove something, as opposed to knowing deep down that they're okay, knowing deep down that they're loved, knowing deep down that it's sufficient, so that they could actually ask well, if I don't have to prove how good I am, what would I want to do? And most people don't have the freedom to ask that kind of question. Most people don't actually know what de demons are running them around the table. They don't really know why they're doing what they're doing. They don't even know how to ask that question. They don't know what legacy they picked up from their parents, how they're trying to be better than, how they're trying to not do what others do, how they're trying to do better than others do. And so they don't even have access to that. And so... Why it becomes a pearl is because it's worthy to consider. It's worthy to give a lot of consideration to why you're doing what you're doing. It doesn't mean you should stop doing it. It's not like a question like stop and retool. Because <laughs> you can always get insight and you can always get some freedom. And, and always, you know, when you start to recognize where you don't actually have a choice, that you're living inside of, the world that seems like options that have been given to you. I only have these options. I could do this, or I could do this, or I could do this. Instead of the endless possibilities that one has when they don't have to prove anything, all of a sudden, when they start to be able to take on a conversation like that with themselves, it brings life. It brings freedom. It brings more joy. It brings more passion. It's like a window is open in a stuffy room where they start to actually have some freedom where it didn't feel like they had any before. And it's, it's an important question for everybody to be engaged in, whether they're building a business or not. 
That's that's what I would hope someone takes away from this conversation. Well, that's a beautiful way to end this. David, thank you so much. Thanks for giving the time to us. I think it's been really helpful. I've enjoyed it, and it's been helpful to me as well. I appreciate it. I hope I hope it's helpful. Well, let's do this again sometime. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. 